Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Before I begin, I want to give you just a quick update. Many of you know last week we did a missions offering Sunday. We do that every year. We've done it for three straight years now. And we encourage you to give above and beyond your tithes and offerings. We had some people that had given kind of before that Sunday. And so we kind of lumped all that together since our missions conference a few weeks ago. This church, to missions only, has given $56,786 to missions. That's amazing. That's above and beyond tithes and offerings. All that money goes to support all of our missions endeavors around the world, to build houses, to buy supplies, to do medical clinics. And so it gives us, again... The opportunity to continue to march forward this next year, doing great things for the Lord. If you're praying a little bit about going next year, Guatemala spring break, or Carpenters for Christ, those are our first two that are up, that are available for 2015. You need to go ahead and talk to Randy Presley about that. We're signing people up now. You say spring break's a long way away. Teachers, it's only six months. So you can be happy for that, right? Light at the end of the tunnel for the school year, even though you've just begun. So you be in prayer for what the Lord's going to call you to do next year. Let me pray for us, and we're going to go ahead and begin. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to come together as a body of believers, Lord, to sing and to pray and and to worship and to study. I pray you would speak to us very clearly this morning. I pray you'd set aside the distractions, all the things that hinder us from hearing from you, and I pray you'd speak clearly to our hearts. I pray, Lord, through the power of the Spirit, you would give us the ability to understand the truth of your Word and then apply it to our lives to be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Well, as many of you probably know, just over eight hours from now, about eight hours from now, my family is going to board a plane. My wife, my four children, and myself, we're going to board a plane. We're going to fly about 15 hours to South Africa. We're going to spend a night in Johannesburg. We're going to get up the next morning, fly another hour and a half up to Livingston. We're going to meet the missionaries, and we're going to ride about five hours to the orphanage where we'll be living through the month of October, working with those missionaries, working with those children, sharing Christ in the villages all throughout the bush. And let me just go ahead and thank you in advance for all of your prayers. We've had so many people these last couple of weeks. Just tell us they've been praying for us. Tell us they're going to pray for us. Tell us that they're excited about what we're doing, that they're challenged by what we're doing. And let me just reassure you, in case you're wondering, we're not locking the church doors for the month of October. We'll be open for business, okay? We've got a great staff. We've got a staff who is capable and able. And I told them Thursday or Tuesday in our staff meeting, I couldn't go if I didn't fully trust them. So all the ministers of this church are going to continue. They're going to thrive while I'm gone. I'll be back at the end of October. But I'm going to ask you, if you would, to continue to pray for us, to continue to lift us up as you think about us, that the Lord will do miraculous things because of our time. I've been asked a lot over the last couple of months this reoccurring question. Why are you doing this? Why are you going? And there's two real clear answers to this. There's a lot of things I could say about it, but the very, very first clear answer is because the Lord's called us to go. That's why we're going. He placed this on our heart. Amy and I have had a heart for missions for a long time, really ever since we've been married. We've had a heart to involve our children more and more. I don't ever want to be the dad that just talks about it. I want to be the dad that my kid sees doing it. And so we've prayed a lot about our children on mission and we've been thinking about it and praying about this trip and over the last several months and especially the last few weeks, the Lord has just reaffirmed over and over that this is the call He's placed on our heart and this is exactly what we ought to be doing. But here's the second reason we're going. I want you 
to be challenged by what we're doing. I explained to our deacons many months ago as we first started thinking about this and praying about this. I said, I, I can do one of two things as the pastor. I can manage the church, which just means I kind of keep everything going the way it's always, make sure the doors are open, make sure all the programs are going according to plan. I can manage the church or I can lead the church. And those are vastly different. And if I'm going to lead the church, I've got to step out sometimes on faith and do things that don't always make sense to everybody. And so I want to encourage you this morning... And I want to encourage you while I'm gone and over the next many weeks, I want you to think about something. I want you to think about and consider doing something radical for the Lord. Now, if we're not careful, our walk becomes complacent, doesn't it? It becomes commonplace and it becomes average and mundane and ordinary and we fall into this rut and if we're not careful, we'll wake up in a few months or a few years or a few decades and we'll look back upon the journey of our life and we'll realize we're no different spiritually today than we were then. So I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to do something radical for the Lord. Now for some of you that may mean getting on an airplane and flying to some far off country. That's radical for a lot of people. For others of you, it may mean getting up out of your desk at work and walking across the hall to witness to that person that doesn't yet know Christ. For somebody else, it may be making a phone call to a family member that you know needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever it is, and however it manifests itself in our lives, I want to ask you this simple question. What are you doing that's radical for the Lord? So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. Now as you're flipping to Numbers chapter 13, I want to give you just a little bit of background on what's going on here in the text. At this point, the children of Israel, the Israelites, have been in bondage Egypt for 400 years. They've been slaves in Egypt. The Lord has sent Moses to go into Egypt to rescue them, to bring them out of slavery. You know the story of the ten plagues. They go into the wilderness, they cross the Red Sea, they go into the, the uh, walk in the desert in the wilderness there, and they hear from the Lord, He leads them, He gives them the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud to guide them. He's given them at this point the Ten Commandments. He's explained to them and given them directions about how they're to build kind of the temporary tabernacle. And it's at this point in the journey, this is important for you to understand, it's at this point in the journey that the Lord is prepared to lead them into the promised land. He's got them to this point. He's led them up to this point. He's rescued them from captivity. Now it's time to take them across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. Now we pick up the story, Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. We have it on the screen for you as well. So the Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So the Lord says to Moses, listen, I want you to send some guys out. I want you to send them into the promised land. While they're in the promised land, I want you to kind of spy out and see what's going on. So the next many verses in 13th chapter of the book of Numbers explain exactly who's going to go, where they're going to go, how long they're going to stay, and then they eventually, after 40 days, come back. Now we're going to pick up the story in Numbers chapter 13, verse 27. Numbers chapter 13, verse 27. So the men that have gone, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. And the Bible tells us that they actually brought some grapes back. They brought some figs and some pomegranates back. 
So they bring back all this fruit, verse 28, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, and the Amalekites, the Amalekites live in Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So they're, they're kind of explaining to Moses, listen, it is a great place. There's a lot of blessing there, but there are some scary people that live there as well. Verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses, and he said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. Verse 31. But the men who, were, who had gone with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And they said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Now verse four, chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and they wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now I want to pause there just for a second. And I want to give you a truth that's going to help us understand exactly what the Lord's going to call these people to do and exactly how He's going to work in their life. Here's the first truth as we understand the children of Israel, as we understand their path through the wilderness, as we understand the radical nature which the Lord has called them to, here's the first truth. It applied then, it still applies now. When you seek to do something radical for the Lord, the devil will do anything in his power to stop you. When you seek to do something radical for the Lord, the devil is going to do anything in his power to stop you. Now, if you've ever experienced this or you've ever had this sense that the Lord's called you to do something pretty radical, you're going to understand that opposition and forces are going to be aligned against you. They're going to come against you. People are going to question you. They're going to wonder why you're doing it. They're going to question your motives and even your sanity. Because when we seek to follow the Lord, and especially when we seek to do something radical for the Lord, we should expect opposition. Now I want to walk through for just a couple of minutes the story of the children of Israel because I think it's a very interesting story. But more important than being an interesting story, it will help us understand the significance of what's taking place here. If you wanted to trace the history of the children of Israel, you'd go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, the Lord comes to a man named Abram. He'll later become known as Abraham. And in chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says this, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country. Your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. So I want you to get up, Abraham. I want you to leave everything behind. And I'm going to let you know when you arrive at the land I'm going to give you. Verse 2, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now the Lord has made kind of a radical promise to Abraham here. 
If you'll trust me, if you'll follow me, I'll make you into a great nation and I'll deliver you into this land in which you can follow me and live by my truth and my commandments. It's a radical thing the Lord's called them to do. Now He's going to reaffirm that promise later on if you were to skip on Exodus chapter 3. Beginning in verse 7, the Lord is speaking to Moses. I want you to listen to the promise again. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. There's the promise again. The Lord said, if you'll trust me, If you'll follow me, I'll do something radical through your life. Fast forward a little bit more. Exodus chapter 33, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go into the land I promise you on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's the promise again. Fast forward again. Numbers chapter 13. We read it just a minute ago. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. Now let's just stop there for a second and let's review. Beginning in Genesis chapter 13, the Lord has given Abraham an incredible promise. He's called Abraham to this radical task, and he's reaffirmed that promise and that task time and time and time again throughout this passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. So the Lord says, I've promised this to you. I've given this to you. If you'll trust me, I'll just do it. Now, biblically speaking, there is no doubt about the promise the Lord has made to these people, is there? There's no doubt about His calling in their life. But I want you to watch this. This is is where it hits home for us now. Even in the midst of maybe the greatest promise ever made in history... Opposition still arose to what the Lord was doing. You understand that? The Lord was clear. This is what you need to do. Here's where you need to walk. Here's how you need to live. I'm going to make it abundantly clear to the people of Israel that this is the calling I've placed in their life. And even in the midst of that clear calling, even in the midst of that incredible promise, doubt and fear and opposition arose within the people to not follow the will of the Lord. That's amazing. You say, how is it that the Lord's will could be so clear And this calling so obvious, and opposition still arose to what the Lord was doing. It's very clear why it happened. Because the devil is going to do everything he can to defeat the plans of the Lord. That's what he's going to do. We see it all through history. We see time and time again in the Scripture where the Lord commands one thing to happen and He sets forth a plan. The enemy is going to do everything he can to defeat that plan and to stop it. John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus describes Satan in this way. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. See, here's what you need to understand. As you begin to try to do something radical for the Lord, the devil's going to do everything in his power to stop you. Now here's what I'm going to argue. Here's what I believe. The greater the calling in your life 
And the more radical you want to live for the Lord, the stronger and the greater the opposition that's going to come against you. If you just kind of mull along as a mundane believer your whole life, you're probably not going to face a whole lot of opposition. In fact, you may be sitting there thinking, huh, that's kind of strange. I've never really, I've never really, I've nearly faced any opposition for anything I'm doing. Maybe it's because you're not living radically enough for the Lord. Because the more you try to seek the Lord, and the more you follow the Lord, the more often you're going to be under attack by the enemy. Now let's fast forward a few thousand years. It's very easy for us to take the words of Scripture and say, you know, that's a great story. It happened a few thousand years ago, but what does it have to do with me now? Well, I'll tell you what it has to do with you right now. There are people in this room that have been called to do amazing things for the Lord right here. There are people that have sat in the 8.30 and the 9.30 or now here at 11 that have been called to do radical things for the Lord. Some of you have been called to do mission work. I have conversations on a pretty regular basis with people and it goes something like this. You know, I've been called to do this. Maybe it's mission work. Maybe it's go overseas somewhere. Maybe it's witness to a friend or a neighbor. Maybe it's, in the words of kind of some of the people of the church, maybe it's getting my life right. Maybe I need to make better decisions for the Lord. I, I get these calls all the time for people to say, I'm called to do this and yet I'm scared to death, right? I know the Lord is calling me, yet the fear of the unknown is kind of deterring me and stopping me from following God's will. Well, let me just speak truth in your heart just for a second. If the Lord's called you to do it, He's going to give you the strength to accomplish it. That's where so many of us fail to understand the connection. I've been very interested the last several months to read about David Livingston. I'm going to Africa, as I mentioned a little while ago, and David Livingston was a missionary in Africa. In fact, Livingston spent years and years of his life in the interior portion, the darkest part of the continent. Now, the thing I knew about David Livingston before I started reading some of his books and studying about him was that he was an incredible missionary. I already knew that about him. I'd read those stories. The thing I didn't know about him was that he was an incredible explorer as well. In fact, in the 1800s in, in Europe and in America and even in parts of Africa, he was a, a rock star, if I could use that phrase. He was incredibly... Everybody knew David Livingston. And so David Livingston would travel into Africa and he would do all he could to map out and to explore and to reach those people for Christ. But the thing that just kind of amazed me about Livingston... The things that the thing just kind of encouraged me as I read about him and studied a little more about him is that he never stopped doing what the Lord called him to do. Nothing stood in his way of doing the work of the Lord. When I say nothing, I don't mean he just had a cold one day and felt bad or had a bad day at work. I mean, he would go into the interior of Africa, right? No phone, obviously. No transport. This man walked to the continent of Africa. You need to understand that. And he couldn't buy stuff in the interior because there was nothing there. There were people that were opposed to him being there, in fact. And so he would have to pay these porters to carry this stuff for him. He tells these stories of hiring hundreds of these men on the coast. He would start a little, little, little island of Zanzibar and he would sail and he would enter the continent of Africa and he would hire all these people to walk into the interior carrying his stuff. Time and time again, those people would deceive him. They'd lie to him. They stole from him oftentimes. He would wake up many mornings and half his stuff would be stolen and those men had deserted. And yet he wasn't deterred. He suffered illness time and time and time again, including several very, very desperate encounters with malaria. And he almost died several times and yet nothing deterred him. 
Nothing stopped him. David Livingston was attacked by a lion. He tells the account of the lion jumping out and literally grabbing his shoulder. He's got, he, had, he said he would show people where the stitches had gone all the way down his arm. The lion grabbed him and in his own words he said, it shook him like a terrier shakes a rat. That's the way he described it. He survived the attack and he later would write that in the midst of that attack the Lord gave him a peace. And he said, after that moment I didn't fear death anymore. <laughs> See, this man was undeterred from doing the will of the Lord. One of my favorite quotes by David Livingston is this. If you have men who will only come if they know that there's a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there's no road at all. What are you doing that's radical for the Lord? Now, let's continue. Chapter 14 again, verses 5 through 9. Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole assembly gathering there. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephthah, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. It's a sign of mourning. Verse 7, And they said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us to that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Verse 9, Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Here's the second truth I want you to get this morning. If we're going to do something radical for the Lord, our trust in Him must outweigh our fear. If you're going to do something radical for the Lord, your trust in Him must outweigh your fear. There has to come a point in your walk with Christ if you're going to be more than just 